Hey everybody, this is Ruben, and you're listening to Amazing Stories. Mr. George Smiley, scholar, gentleman, spy. He was recruited in 1928 in the lamentably casual way they did these things back then. It was his tutor at Oxford. An unimpressive college. Who said to George one day, give these people a try, Smiley. They might have you. And they pay badly enough to guarantee you decent company. He said later that his appearance before the interviewing board of an organisation he'd never heard of... The Overseas Committee for Academic Research, they called themselves... ...was like a fan dance, each of the six members slowly revealing different parts of this mysterious entity... When the last veil was removed, George blinked and blushed and understood. He'd imagined, so he said, fellowships and a life devoted to the literary obscurities of 17th century Germany. And here he was being offered a job in the British Secret Service. No one mentioned pay. Soon came training, anonymous country houses, anonymous instructors... Then a first quite pleasant operational posting in Germany, simply seeking out prospective recruits and sending their names to London. He, he did no actual recruiting himself. When the war began... For you, dear George, all simplicity, all pleasantness disappeared. The fear began. Before, his cover had been as a lecturer at a provincial German university. Now it was as the representative of a Swiss firm of small arms manufacturers travelling between Sweden, Switzerland and Germany. Mostly Germany. Your beloved, corrupted Germany. And now he did recruit agents, activate and run them. You'd never guessed. How could you, George, that it was possible to be so afraid for so long? Never to sleep, never to relax, in solitude. And sometimes self-pity. A sudden, unreasoning desire for a woman, for drink, for exercise, for any drug that might take away the tension. The fear... You took refuge in dreams, didn't you, darling? Dreams of England. His love for his country was more than patriotic. It was intensely romantic. In his dreams, in reverie, he roamed all over England. That was your other secret life. He was recalled in the summer of 43. The relief was blissful and intense and brief. You trembled and stammered with relief. But within weeks you were yearning to go back. No, he was told. You're finished. Train new men, take time off, unwind. Get married or something. Your hot war is over, they said, but we'll find something for you in the cold one that's coming. That was when I first met him. Maston, the new shiny breed, odious bureaucrat. This was the legendary Smiley. Plump little man. Plump as a frog, blinking like a mole. Hard not to look at the tick in his left eye. How would he know that fear could do that? <laughs> I've seen him clean his spectacles with the fat end of his tie, uh, absent-minded legend. Your mind is never absent, George. You're the best agent they ever had. Still are. He said to me once that his profession gave him academic excursions into the mystery of human behaviour, disciplined by the practical application of his own deductions. He does talk like that sometimes. Peter Gwillem. Dear Peter. So, get married, or something. He did, in 1945, to the most unlikely woman, Anne Sercombe. 
extraordinary. Most unlikely, so not at all extraordinary, that two years later she left him, which is why I was sure, more than ten years after the divorce, that he'd be in his house in Bywater Street in Chelsea late that January night, with maybe a volume of his beloved German poets, but otherwise alone. Without parents, without school, without regiment or trade, without wealth or poverty. Yes, George. That was you. And how could such a one become the husband of Lady Anne Sercombe? How oh, indeed. Did I ever tell you what Sawley said? Of course you did. That Sercombe had got herself mated to a bullfrog and a sou'wester. You do seem to spend an astonishing amount of money on really bad clothes. And there is something froggish about you, can't be denied. I don't deny it, Anne. I waddled down that aisle in search of the kiss that would turn me into a prince. My toad. My only toad. Only? If there is an only man in my life, you are he. I demonstrated that, did I not, by holy matrimony. And what did you demonstrate by our divorce two years later? For a racing driver. A Cuban racing driver. A champion? Yes. I saw a picture of him once in some magazine. You? Looked in a magazine? Waiting room. He was grinning with that ridiculous garland round his neck. He had the hairiest arms. Disgusting. Can you still be with him, Anne? Still with that grinning ape after all these years? Where are you? <coughs> Smiley. Hello, George. Gwilym here. Hello, Peter. I hope I didn't wake you. No. Awake and alone and deep in a German book. What can I do for you, Peter? Maston wants you to come in. Oh, this time of night? I rather think he wants you here four hours ago. It's about Samuel Fennan, foreign office chap. You interviewed him on Monday? Yes, perfectly routine. Not so routine now, George. He's written to the Foreign Secretary to say you cast doubts on his loyalty, his career is ruined, and he was the victim of paid informers. Well, that's madness. I told him he's in the clear. What else does he want? Nothing. He's dead. Four hours ago, he shot himself. Coffee, George? Yes, please, Peter. It's out of a bottle, but it does. <laughs> and there's that look again. What look is that? The way you peer round this place with its bright corridors, all the shiny youngsters, and you remember gas-lit glory days. I'm sure the young people are eager and efficient. Where's Maston? He should be here soon. He's gone to see Sparrow at Scotland Yard. There's squabbling about who handles the case. The Yard says Special Branch, FO says CID, and the Surrey coppers don't know what's hit him. Took him a dozen phone calls to get permission to open the letter. The letter to the Foreign Secretary? Yes, announcing suicide. It was on the floor, beside the body. His wife found him when she got home from the theatre at about a quarter to eleven. It was typewritten. A typewritten suicide man? First one of those I've met. He'd even typed the date and the time. 10.30. I haven't seen it yet, but I have it verbatim or near enough. Go on. Uh, dear Sir David, after some hesitation, I've decided to take my life, my own life. I cannot or will not live, spend my remaining years under a cloud of disloyalty and suspicion. I realise that my career is ruined. I'm the victim of paid informers. You're sincerely in many clear and unmistakable signature, Samuel Fennan. But there was no cloud of disloyalty, no suspicion. We walked in the park, we watched the ducks. Oh, smiley, good. Come through. Oh, what a night. I've had the Foreign Secretary, Scotland Yard, Superintendents, Chief Constables, and accusations that our service has got out of hand. Gestapo methods have been spoken about. Be gentle, George. Our advisor is in an advanced state of pregnancy. 
Before we begin, Smiley, I should tell you it has been agreed, I can't emphasise this too strongly, that no word of our former interest in Fennon is to reach the press. Now, remind me, how did our interest begin? Uh, an anonymous letter, was it not? Yes, alleging Communist Party membership at Oxford and vague hints at current sympathy. You have no idea who denounced him? None. But whoever wrote the letter was right, of course, about his Marxism. A party member in the 30s, while at Oxford, I would guess half the present cabinet were. So not everyone abandons youthful folly. True, of course, adviser. And Fennon had access to top-secret material? Yes. Did you go for him at all? Go for him? It was, uh, was the interview hostile? It was particularly friendly. We liked one another, I think. He was an intelligent man, fluent, interesting. He didn't seem nervous to you? A little at the beginning, not unnatural. But he seemed to enjoy telling me his story, his motives, his reasoning back then. A good man, I thought. Go on. Well, when I got to his room in the foreign office, it turned out to be rather public, people trotting in and out the whole time. So I suggested we should go for a walk in the park. We spent about half an hour there. We watched the ducks, rather pleasant. Then we went to an espresso cafe he knew near Millbank. A what? An espresso bar. They make a special kind of coffee, a shilling a cup. Quite nice stuff. So, under these convivial circumstances, what did you make of him? Perceptive, cultured, Jewish, soft-spoken, good listener, excellent talker, highly educated. But to be honest, until tonight I should have been confident in my appraisal of him. Now it doesn't make sense. His suicide, his, his letter, it comes as a complete surprise to you? Complete. Not only because they mean I misread him entirely, but because in a way I exceeded my brief. How? I told him not to worry. You did what? I told him I could see no reason why we should bother him further. My department would recommend no further action. You took that upon yourself? We often do, adviser. We don't normally record it. I shall in this case. Listen, Smiley, the Minister and the Home Secretary want the fullest possible account of this affair, and it is my specific duty to provide one. We talk to a man, and hours later he kills himself, blaming us. It's bad. It is. Now, it might be that Fennan's wife can fill in some gaps for us. He lived down in Surrey somewhere. Uh, yes, Wollaston, off the Kingston Bypass. You want me to go down there? You know the case, Smiley. You made the background inquiries. There just isn't time to brief anyone else. When do you want me to go? Apparently, Mrs Fennan is a somewhat unusual woman. Foreign, uh, Jewish. Suffered badly in the war. She seems, I'm told, relatively unmoved by her husband's death, only superficially, no doubt, but she has been sensible and communicative, cooperative. She would probably see you as soon as you can get there. All right with you? Of course. Good. I shall phone you there later. Oh, and uh, George, you can count on me. You can count on my support. You do detest that man, George. I do. Quite right, too. He is detestable, as he extends his empire with apologies, moves to a larger office. With regret. And that shirt, a full inch of creamy cuff on show, the silver tie and the grey hair, a barmaid's dream of a gentleman. Admiring his own white hands. I bet he always remembers his secretary's birthday. And that smile. The one he normally reserves for the older ladies of the service. He offered it to you my toad, with his you can count on me and addressing you as George. I'm sure that one works round the clock, a 24-hour cabaret. We never closed. Cloak and dagger man. Cloak for his master's, dagger for his servants. 
Was he frightened, do you think? Of what? Do you wonder? I, I hope I'm not distracting you from your driving. You are not here, Anne. I may be closer than you think. Flying home. Sailing home. Waiting on our doorstep. Dashing off a telegram. Composing a subtle letter. This Fennan woman. Jewish. Suffered greatly in the war. Does that mean a camp? You never saw the camps, did you? I saw them burning books. I knew the camps were coming. I should be weeping, I suppose. But I've no more tears. I'm barren, Mr. Smiley. The children of my grief are dead. George Smiley. You're the man who interviewed my husband about loyalty. Please sit. I liked your husband very much, Mrs. Fennan. You didn't give him that impression. You were a shock to him. You frightened him. I have been told what was in your husband's letter. I'm not thinking about the letter. It's what he said to me. When he came back on Monday night, he was incoherent. A most unusual state for him. He seemed almost desperate. I gave him a sedative. He did manage to sleep half the night. But when he woke, he was still talking about it. About you. You, Mr. Smiley, occupied my husband's mind until his death. Mrs. Fennan, I simply do not understand. There was an anonymous letter, as I'm sure you know, which had to be investigated. But the interview was little more than a formality and an amicable one. So it seemed to you. It did. Before long, I was in no doubt your husband was enjoying it. Enjoying? An interrogation? I promise you, it was no such thing. He told stories about his youth, his idealism. Told them freely. We didn't even hold our conversation in the government office. We took a walk in the park, looked at the ducks. You were in no doubt. You simply do not understand. I do not. It's an odd illness you suffer from. I've seen many victims of it. The mind becomes separated from the body. It sinks without touching reality. Rules a paper kingdom. It devises without emotion the ruin of paper victims. There would have been no ruin for your husband. I tried to make that clear to him. Sometimes the division between your world and ours evaporates. The files grow heads and arms and legs, faces and voices. Blood flows in them. That must be a terrible moment for you. There's truth in what you say. But, Mrs. Fennan, you must be exhausted. You can't have slept at all last night. Sleep is not a luxury I enjoy. My body and I must put up with one another almost 24 hours a day. It's like the state and the people. Mrs. Fennan. Your odd illness is there, too. The state is a dream, a symbol, an emptiness, a mind without a body. But states make wars, don't they, and imprison people. You are of the state, Mr. Smiley. You have no place among real people. Yes. I've intruded too much already. When you drop a bomb from the sky, you should not come down here to look at the blood. Shall I get that? It may well be for me. My office. They said they might phone me here. Your office... 
your paper kingdom. Um, uh, Wallaston 2944. Good morning, exchange here. Your 8.30 call. Oh yes, thank you very much. It was for you, your 8.30 call. Well, I must be going now. I have a courtesy visit to pay to the local police, then London. I liked your husband very much, Mrs. Fennant. I thought him a good man. Go back to your Whitehall drawing board. To more of your paper spies. Uh, Mr. Smiley? Yes. Mendel, sir, special branch. They sent me down to look after the tidying up, soothe the local bobbies. Yes. We just got a message from your department. You ought to ring your advisor at once. Mr. Smiley, uh, not in the mood for the advisor? Inspector Mendel, is it? That's right. Is there somewhere quiet we can talk somewhere with the telephone? Well, the superintendent is out. We could use his office. Let's do that. It's all right, sir. Excellent. Close the door, Mendel. Someone at the Fennan House. 15 Meridale Lane. Right. Someone there asked to be called by the exchange at 8.30 this morning. I want to know what time the request was made and by whom. Know their number? Wallaston 2944. Subscriber? Samuel Fennan, I should think. Uh, Wollaston CID here, Superintendent's Office. We have an inquiry. I'd be happy to help, sir, but may I call you back? Security. Of course, very wise. CID outside line, Wollaston 2421. Security, she says. Always important. You don't want anyone to know about this, do you? No one, not even you. Exchange? Yes, sir. We're investigating a burglary in Meridale Lane. It's possible they used number 15 as an observation point for a job on the house opposite. Is there any way of finding out if any calls were made from or received on Wollaston 2944 between 8 and 9 this morning? If you'll hold on, sir, I'll speak with the other girls and check the dockets. Thank you. She's checking girls and dockets. Good, Mendel. Very good. I can be good. So can you, I'm told. If you don't mind my saying... I have a copy of the suicide letter. The original's gone to the F.O. and another copy straight to Marlena Dietrich. What? I'm oh, sorry, sir. Slipped out. What we call your advisor. Fairly oh. general in the branch. Sorry. No, most interesting. And I doubt very much if it slipped out. Sir? Still here? There were no outgoing and only one call received at that number this morning at 8.30. It was an alarm call requested last night by Mr Samuel Fennan. By Mr Fennan? Yes, sir. We all know his voice well. Very cultured gentleman. He made the request at 7.55 last night. Well, thanks very much. You've been very helpful. Keep it under your hat. Cheerio. Fenham himself asked for the call at 5 to 8 last night. Definitely him. Then wrote a suicide letter at half past ten. Well, maybe a lot happened between then and then. I need coffee. Should I answer that? I'm in no mood for chat with Marlena. Come and have coffee. Mr Smiley, sir. You look worried, sir. I am. Tell me about the body. Where was it found? Bottom of the stairs. It's true. Sprawled across the hall floor with the gun underneath him. The note was on the floor beside him. Anything else? 
a mug of cocoa in the drawing room. This man asks the exchange to ring him at 8.30, types a suicide note, types it, mind you. You have that copy with you. Then, makes himself a cup of cocoa, doesn't drink it, shoots himself instead in the hall. This was probably done on a portable, like the anonymous letter that denounced Fennon. You think it might have been the same machine? Absurd. Very. But we could have them compared. Good Lord. An alcoholic from my old man could strip paint with it. Reliable, though. How did you get onto the early call? I answered it. I'd assumed it was for her, but she's an insomniac, told me so. Something about not enjoying the luxury of sleep. My body and I must put up with one another almost 24 hours a day. Yeah, fancy talker, is she? Anyway, some women go on about insomnia and migraines and stuff. Think it makes them look nervous and temperamental, interesting. Load of cock, usually. Oh, I believed her. You would too, if you'd seen her. And she didn't get back from the theatre until quarter to eleven. She couldn't have ordered the call. So what now? Back to London? Back to the old illness. Separation of body and mind to contain a human tragedy in a three-page report. Well, that's fancy and deep. Not London. Not quite yet. Good. Yes? I was just about to suggest it. Face her and ask her. I thought that might puzzle you. A woman who never sleeps asks for a morning call. Do you often go to the theatre? Yes, once a fortnight. I'm a member of the Weybridge Repertory Club. I have a seat reserved on the first Tuesday of each run. Did your husband go with you? No, never. He cared only for classical theatre. But he liked Brecht. He saw the Berliner Ensemble when they were in London. Quite thrilling, he told me. While you were watching your ducks. Mr Smiley, the explanation for that call is simple and silly. I suffer from a terrible memory. Truly awful. I ask people to stay the weekend and we are out when they arrive. As bad as that, and worse. When there's something I simply have to remember, I ring the exchange and ask for a call a few minutes before the appointed time. Like a knot in my handkerchief that shouts out my name. And why did you ask for this one? There you are. I have forgotten completely. Seltsam im Nebel zu wandern. Jede ist allein. German. Hermann Hesse. Strange to wander in the mist. Each is alone. He means that we can never fully know each other. Never. If I were to tell you my deepest thoughts, still you wouldn't know me. I can believe that. But I cannot believe Elsa Fennon killed her husband. She smiled only once when I was with her, when I told her he'd talk to me about Brecht. Her whole face lit up, like a girl's. There's no aggression in her, only the will to survive. In that, I'm sure she would be ruthless. But you do believe Fennon was murdered? Over that way I live. Mitchum. Shall I take you there? No, thanks. I have to go back to the yard. Bought myself a decent little semi-detached down there for my retirement. A long way off, surely. Three days. Uh-huh. Well, we may both be out of a job by Monday.
We seem to be at cross-purposes, Smiley. I send you to discover why Fennan shot himself. You come back and say he didn't. Elsa Fennan lied to me. She did not request the 8.30 call. She could not have. Why are you so obsessed with that damned phone call? Let's accept Fennan himself asked for it. If you or I, anyone, were driven to that desperate state where we were about to destroy ourselves, who knows what nonsensical behaviour we might be capable of. Nonsensical, yes, like preparing a nightcap of cocoa. Even that... Another thing, I haven't had an expert comparison made, but there's a similarity between the anonymous letter accusing Fennan of disloyalty and his suicide note. The type looks identical. Absurd. I know, but the similarity is strong. We must bring in the police, give them the facts. Facts? What facts? You cannot expect me to suggest to the Home Secretary on this evidence, which is little more than your suspicion, that the police have reached the wrong conclusion. Uh, you know how tenuous our police liaison is. I'm sorry, Smiley, but there it is. Smiley? What the devil's wrong with you, man? You feel ill? I feel tired. Oh, you've been up all night. When I got back, there was a letter waiting for me from Fennan. It was written yesterday, the day after I interviewed him. Posted at six last night. And? He asked me to meet him today, in Marlow. He had information for me. He said it was essential. Why didn't you tell me this before? I wanted to see what your response would be to what I had to say. Now I've seen. You'll have my letter of resignation within the hour. Sycophant. Posturing sycophant. Sissy. You didn't handle him well, Toad. You almost lost control. Anger. And something like panic. Where's that famous detachment of yours, your chameleon armadillo system you told me about over dinner that night? Was it Quaglino's? Of course it was. When confronted with any kind of inquisitor, become a chameleon. That's right. The questioner loves no one as well as himself. He will be charmed by his own image. So take on his colours. Social, political, intellectual. And if that fails... Become an armadillo. Imagine the one opposite is wearing frilly panties under his tweeds. Or see the likes of your advisor walking naked into a Masonic banquet. Where are you, Anne? You made the present alive to me. You gave me reality. Now you've robbed me of all peace. When you went... What's wrong, George? Are you not going in? Have a nice restoring drink? Yes? Good afternoon. Is Mr Smiley in, please? Will you come in? No, thank you. Would you please give him this? What is it? His laundry. Thank you. Goodbye. I think he was waiting there to kill me. Christ. Of course, you wouldn't have expected me to ring the bell. I was lucky I had the parcel, but I doubt if he was taken in. I wouldn't have been. Little man in a Ford car delivering parcels of linen. Sugar? One, please. 
And I'm almost sure he recognised me. From a photograph, I should think. Fennin's killed yesterday. You follow him today. Connection? I don't know. I got your address from your superintendent. I hope you don't mind. Of course I do. I wonder if you might check on these car numbers for me. They were all parked in my street. You took time to write them down? I didn't have to. I have that kind of memory. Could you manage that for me? Will do. But why not have your own lot do it? Oh, I didn't tell you. I've resigned. Free as air and just as employable. Right. Know anything about bees, do you? Well, a little. Observe them. No. But at Oxford I wrestled with Goethe's metamorphoses of plants and animals. It's impossible to understand 19th century Europe without a working knowledge of the natural sciences. I'm sorry. It's all right. You're tired? Felt a shock? Now, you relax, finish your tea, and I'll phone these in. Then we'll take a wander around the garden. And here we are. Three built so far. Very nice. No bees yet, but three hives. I've been reading up on the beasts. Want to know as much as I can before I move them in. Odd little beggars. Did you know they do a dance to tell each other where to find nectar? Yes. Nature's wonders. Instinct. When I stopped the car outside my house today, I thought I saw a movement in the drawing room window. Then afterwards, I wasn't so sure. Was it sight or instinct? Some inner sense or nerve giving me a warning. I know what you mean. I wouldn't stay at your place tonight. There's a spare room here, if you like. Well, that's very kind of you. Well, up to you, of course. I'm sure you've lots of places you could go. Not really, no. Hotel, even. But not your place. I suppose not. Don't really understand your line of work. Don't suppose you know much about mine. But I reckon... Well, we're both coppers. Ever sort. Yes. Another thing. I've seen a lot of good men messed about by stupid bosses. I'm sure you have. I know that much about your line of work. The room's not grand, but it'll do. Thank you very much. Right, then. Your seven numbers. Four of them we can forget about, I think. All registered to your street and adjacent one. Two of the others, I've got a man on now. But this one, we could have a look at ourselves. TRX0891, why this one? Which a hired car from Adam Scar and Sons, Battersea. Adam Scar, well, well, well. You know him? I knew him of old and I was a street bubby. There wasn't much in the boogie I hadn't been up to and I bet my pension is in no way reformed. <laughs> I know Adam, I know where to find him. And it's not the Garden of Eden. <laughs> crowds, bloody crowds. Crowds. Huns, Jerry's. Carnivorous sheep, that's what they are. It says here they're kicking Jews about again. Again, if I was a Jew in Germany. What? What would you do? Oh, Christ knows. And there's the Yanks. Millions of Jews in America. What do the Yanks do? Give the crowds their bombs back. Uh huh. You spotted our man. I didn't see him come in, but he's just gone through to the snug. So, how do we handle him? I think I'll handle him myself. You're better out of this. I'm sure you're right. You got a fiver? 
Thanks. Now, you go and wait in the car. Adam Scar. You're correct. TRX 0891. <laughs> Friend, you speak in code. It's your car. Do I know you from the dim and distant, Mr. Copper? Tell me about your car. What's to tell? She was mine. So, where is she now? Oh, I see the light, Squire. You wish for information. Well, these are hard times. Cost of living is a rising star. And information, well, that's an item. A saleable item. A fiver. Well, three weeks ago, a bloke comes marching in. A Scotsman, well-to-do, looked it. He carried a stick. He paid his deep bow and off he went in my nice little motor. Never saw him or it again. But you didn't report this. Well, factors argued against that course of action. You pinched it yourself. Oh, calumny! But I have heard distressing rumours about the party from which I obtained the vehicle. That's a lie. And if anything else you've said or will say turns out to be a lie, I'll come back and break your neck. Mendel, got you now. So how have you been, Squire Mendel, you old son of a yid? <laughs> Dort woman Bucke verbrennt, verbrennt man auch am Ende Menschen. First the books, then the men. And I saw the burning of the books. Well now. So you're back, are you? TRX 0891. <laughs> beating. Lucky you were unconscious for most of it. And you so hate a hospital. You hate its horrible instruments laid out under linen like the last communion. But you'll live. I insist you try your best to live. Mendel, are we to barter again? Up. Sit and parley. So get up, you bastard. Christ the Hebrew. Up and out of here. I'll kick you to death where you are. Help! Please! Give me more! These up, Mendel! Give me it all! Let me breathe! Man. You shouldn't have the right to breathe! Give me a name! I don't have a name! God's chosen! He was Dutch! Or said he was! Boy! Young, fair, tall, cool, cool as charity! What did a quarter board or nothing then? The lunch! He paid 20 quid a month for garaging and a bonus every time he took it out. How often was that? Regular, once a fortnight. First and third Tuesdays. Started four years ago. Every fortnight? Except January and February. This is January. This is the first January come, no lie. What if something went wrong? How did you contact him? My phone number. I had to phone and ask for Blondie. Blondie? He wouldn't give me his name, see? Asked me to pick one. I'll pick Blondie. He didn't smile. I never saw him smile. Give me the number. Oh, Primrose 0098. Is that all you have? Every bit. I swear on my mother's ass. She's gone. May she rot in hell. You are a sore waste of space and oxygen, Scar. Some folk enjoy me. You better watch yourself, Mendel. I think our blondie would kill as soon as smile.
That night in the car, George, when you knew someone was in our house, what was it you said? Sight or instinct? Your own instinct. Craft and training, too, I suppose. Giving you a warning. Something is wrong. Something bad is coming. You've been having that feeling a lot recently, haven't you? Primrose 0098. But you have to go on. Mr Smiley? And to go on, you have to wake up. Are you still with us? Primrose 0098. Thought you drifted off again. I do like your new chum. Mendel, do you really think you should I had be... it checked out. Primrose 0098. Does the East German steel mission mean anything to you? I think they turned up here about four years ago trying to get a foot in the door of the Board of Trade. The sister here... Four years ago, when Blondie turned up at Adam Scars, and now they've disappeared, stripped, no furniture, nothing. They left three weeks ago on the 3rd of January. The day Fenham was killed. That really is the most extraordinary lighter. Reliable? Never mind stripping paint, you could stop a tank with it. Three weeks? You've been in here a long time. Good Lord, Mendel. Do you know Peter Gwillem? I know of him. Find him and bring him here by the scruff of the neck, if need be. Will do. Oh, brought you a book. Oh, the wonder of bees. Well, they are a wonder. You haven't mentioned my new hat. Very dashing. Bought it to celebrate my retirement. Yes. We're both on the shelf now. Well, on the shelf and never been busier. Please, get rid of the cigarette before you go out there. She may be lurking. What will I do with it? Give it to me. This is not visiting hour, Mr Gwillem. All this irregular coming and going is not good for my patient. He's far from fully recovered. I was told he was on the mend. He must be very carefully watched. With injury to the head as severe as he suffered, there may be lasting effects. Memory loss, confusion. He's a hard man to confuse. Are all his friends as insubordinate as he is? Insubordinate? Sister, the man in there, your patient, my senior officer... Officer? He's a very important man, and I've been summoned here on very important business. You've heard of the Official Secrets Act. Secrets? He can't even conceal the fact he's been smoking in his room. Staring at you, George. An old friend and a new, staring at you as if you were a senile antique. Wakey, wakey, on we go. Um, let me tell you what I think may have happened, Peter. Please do. May I have a grape or two? Much of my interview with Fennan took place outdoors, in the park, where anyone could have seen us. Now... What if someone did see us? Someone who recognised both of us? Someone who didn't want Fennan and a security man talking? Yes. Was so opposed to the idea that Fennan had to be killed. Opposed enough that you had to be got rid of too? Yes, yeah, possible. If the fear was that Fennan had already told me too much. Possible, but it doesn't take us far. No. What about his wife? Her lies... The 8.30 call, the car, the anonymous letter. I can tell you something about that. The anonymous letter and the so-called suicide note. They were both done on the same machine, but by different typists. They can tell by the pressure and spacing and such like. It was Fenner's typewriter 
not at work, the one in his house. So if we accept that Fennon typed a suicide note... I still am not convinced of that. Well, he certainly signed it. And the anonymous letter denouncing him, did Elsa write that? His wife? Why would she do that? You look tired, George. Uh, I am. But I'm getting out of here tomorrow, whatever they say. You'll even defy the sister I saw on the way in. I'll avoid her. What do we know about how East German agents work? We get odd bits here and there, but there's something of a mystery. Their targets, those we've spotted, seem to be fairly insignificant. Technique? The usual tricks. We know a few eccentric details, never waiting at a rendezvous, always turning up 20 minutes before a stated time, controllers never inventing cover names. Well, surely they must. They get the agent to choose a name, any name he likes, and the controller adopts it. Just a gimmick. And it's the gimmick Blondie used with Scar. He asked Scar to give him a name. This uh, Blondie, you said in four years he didn't borrow the car in January or February. That's right, this was the first year. I... I recall something Fennan said. He and his wife always went skiing in January. This was the first time they'd missed in four years. Links are forming, George, between our dead innocent Fennan and the East Germans. The people who staffed their steel mission, do we have much on them? Fair amount. Photographs? George. I know. I'm off the books. But if someone at the mission recognised me, maybe I'll recognise him. I'll do what I can, of course I will. Thank you, Peter. Now, Mendel, Fennan's wife, did she really go to the theatre that night? Was she alone? Um, did a neighbour hear her come back? If so, when? Good old-fashioned police work. And aren't you sure you're so tired? <laughs> I do sense some recuperation. Well, I hope this doesn't set you back. Adam Scar's dead. He was found last night, face down in river mud. This way, darling. Mind your footing. It's like a maze in here. Oh, you'll soon find your way around. Members of the club get guided tours backstage, learn all the tricks of the art, smoke and mirrors and genuine magic. Did you see our panto this year? Missed it. Treasure Island. Great success. And the wild duck last autumn? Uh, no. New to the neighbourhood, are you? That's right. And you want to join the rep club? Not join, exactly. You're a collector, and you may as well leave right now. I've said I'll pay, and I will, but I won't be pestered. I'm not a creditor, Mrs. Oriel. Oh, copper, then. Divorce agent, rich client. Ready to pay for your time. Handsome stranger. You interest me. One, two, three. Don't stop on my account. Four, five. Would you care for a little drinky-poo? Uh, no. Um, there's a small blonde party as a member of your club. Mrs. Elsa Fennon. Fennon, Fennon. Right, here she is. Merrydale Lane. That's her. She takes seat number R2, a rear stall at the end of a row. Odd choice. But, of course, she is an odd one. Skinny, foreign, Jewish. Might well be mad. And the music case. Music case? She always brings one, checks it in. And so Mr Divorce Agent does her fancy man. Definitely not her husband. Darling, as well as running this place, I'm an actress and a director. I need to be able to read people. And last time she was here, she threw a fit. What about? 
First of all, Romeo didn't turn up, and she wouldn't let us use his seat. Then she left after the first act, aging Juliet in high dudgeon. Didn't even pick up her music case. Phones us up later that night. Gurlia said she was in tears, and there was a man urging her on in the background. She's lost her cloakroom ticket, but can someone drop in and collect the case without it? So he did. The same man who always sat beside her? Fair Romeo himself. Really fair, or is that just theatre talk? Tall and blonde and dishy, and as foreign as his sweetheart. Oh, no. You look as if you've had your fiver's worth. The race was set up by a man named Steed Asprey. I've heard of him, never met him. He'd been reprimanded by a secretary of his proper club, blaspheming within the hearing of a South African bishop, George. That's right. So he persuaded his old landlady from Oxford to come here and run this improper club. No rules, no secretary. What about bishops? Mm. Definitely no bishops. It started with, what, George, 40 members? Thereabouts. Down to less than 30 now. They never elect new ones. Why not? Always the plan, one generation only. And a splendid one, George's own. And shrinking fast. But you would think, George, after all these years, you might have got yourself into a decent club. Where are you off to, George? Into the past? People even bring their own sandwiches here. You all right, Mr Smiley? Fine, fine. A little distracted. Maybe you broke out of the hospital a bit soon. Shall we eat? The sirloin and the clad have always been good. Still are, I'm sure. After that, I have a story for you. Begins in 1938. I'd taken a job in a German university, lecturing on German and English literature. I did teach, but my real job was looking out for young men and women with what we called agent potential. Forgive the jargon, Mendel. Anyway, the man I want to tell you about, Fry, Dieter Fry. He was 19. Intelligent, charming, a socialist, a fiery one, too fiery to recruit, much too impetuous. And he was Jewish. High forehead, lots of black hair, uncombed, thick as a mane. He walked with a limp, infantile paralysis. Quite the young Byron. Remarkable looking. Remarkable altogether. So, one evening... Summer, warm, my window open. Fascism might never have been heard of. John Keats can hardly be described as politically neutral. Dr Smiley, read the letters. The passion for honesty, for justice, his disdain for authority. I do not deny it, but I was discussing the poems, not the letters. What I was trying to get across was I do think it's a mistake to apply German critical methods to English poetry. Wait, and do you have an opinion about what our German, our Nazi authorities call decadence in art? Not one yes? I feel like expounding this evening. Oh, do you have an opinion at all about the Nazis? Put it like this, I am disinclined to criticise my hosts. I do not understand you. Just so long as you comprehend the arguments of my lectures. I say comprehend, that doesn't of course mean you must agree. Ah, evasion! It's always indifference, indifference! You plead about artistic freedom when a third of Europe is in chains. How am I to understand that? Shall I tell you what I don't understand? Why you haven't been chucked out of this university? Why indeed you're still free, outspoken as you are? Yes, and Jewish. I'm still here because I'm the best. The best at what? Anything that this place throws at me. Did you know that even with this leg, I hold positions in the athletic guilds? Honorary, of course. You are a remarkable young man. And I'll go on speaking out. Thought alone is nothing. One has to act for thought to be real. Real in the world. 
An order not obeyed does not exist, and I am the spirit that denies. Goethe gave those words to Mephistopheles. Oh, Mephistopheles. Well, do you want to see his work, Doctor? Go to the window. Why? Go. Go and look. They should have started by now. Who started what? You've been cloistered in your room too long. Far side of the playing field. A bonfire? Yes, there are burning books. I've heard about this. Well, now you've seen it. And you know Heiner, of course. Wherever books will be burned... Men also, in the end, are burned. Mm, too hellishly true. Three weeks later, Dieter disappeared. I was sure I'd never see him again. He was a Jew. They were killing him wholesale by then. When the war began, I was ordered to England, intensive briefing and training, then back to Europe, Switzerland, Sweden, Germany. I was to activate about a dozen untried agents. On the list of recruits I was given, Dieter Fry. I was as astonished as you, Doctor. A man I thought cared only for the 18th century and would be happy to let the 20th drown in its own blood. It might do that yet. Who recruited you? Well, I suppose I recruited myself. I walked into your consulate in Dresden. Will you do nothing, I ask, until every Jew in Europe is destroyed? Oh, it is extraordinary, Doctor, isn't it? We are in the midst of a European war, and yet the trains are so reliable. I believe something like 75... Excuse me, please. I'm so sorry. Quite all right. (laughs) Please. Yes, 75% still run on time. Such efficiency and resolution. How can we lose? With you directing so much of the system... I expect to rise further. I'll do all I can to make sure more than 75% run on time. Predictably so. I think I can be of great use to you, Doctor. You don't need to call me that. You may call me George. Your servant... George. You and he played that terrible game for years. Meeting on trains and cars, cafes and bars. Such courage. Such terror. You would never tell me very much about Dieter Fry, but the little you did say, well, there was a man I should love to have met. You did hint at one night at basement in Cologne, I remember. Was it you or he? you thought might break. The cathedral, the university, the old town hall. They can be rebuilt. Can a cathedral be rebuilt? How many do you think? Hundreds. Many hundreds. Brave boys, your RAF. How on earth did we get here? A series of blunders by our masters. Yours and mine. Many hundreds. Oh, Germany. Have I lost it utterly, do you think? Your Germany will last forever, sound to the core. Oh, here is Dr. Smiley again with his quotations, with his Heine. You love our poetry, Doctor, our cathedrals, our music, maybe even our older philosophy, but you... You can never love the fatherland. You're English. To the core. Yes, I am. Dear God, dear God. Calmly now, George. 
family. Dita, why did you come? You asked me to come. I didn't know about this. Which I may have helped to bring about. It must have started before you... Why did you still come? Well, I am as safe here with you as anywhere, don't you think? You are right, you know, George. You and old Heiner. The core of Germany, the Nazis have to be defeated. Destroyed. After that, penance and retribution. Amends will have to be made. George. Ah, oh, forgive me. May I have that water, please? Maybe we should stop this now. That no, sister did I'm say... I'm all right, I am. Dieter Fry. He was a magnificent agent. He must have learned to button his lip. Well, not really, no. Flamboyant as ever. And still outspoken, but skillfully. A kind of double bluff. And he did a wonderful job on the railways, made himself indispensable. Oh, an indispensable Jew. He was so useful, I think it was convenient to the Gestapo to ignore his... indiscretion. And he was doubly useful to us. Details of troop and ammunition transports, reports of the effectiveness of our bombing, pinpointing key targets. He even arranged for certain freights to move on good moonlit flying nights for our bombers. He had a natural genius for espionage. His position gave him the freedom to travel all over occupied Europe. We could meet anywhere. Our final meeting was in the summer of 43, beside a lake outside Berlin. I don't have anything for you, George. Short notice. Swap the briefcases anyway. I have something for you. Oh, what is this? Heiner. Your own copy? I haven't signed it, of course. Oh, no, that would be very bad, Tradecraft. They are pulling you out? They think my cover has got rather thin. I'm shop-soiled and exhausted. You'll miss the end game, George. Look at Russia, and it's Americans bombing Germany now. I wanted to say goodbye. Good luck. Oh, <laughs> I'll survive. I have to. To get back to Dresden, to my mother. That ferocious old Jewess. <laughs> She'll see this out. The Russians will come all the way here. And the Americans too? Huh? Treacherous, arrogant, greedy imperialists, your allies, George. You are shoulder to shoulder with Mephistopheles. And you are still a socialist. <laughs> of course. And your servant, George. That's the last you saw of him? After the war, I found out he'd survive. I wonder if his mother did. I was told he'd got himself a government job in the New Republic. Nobody knew what job. Then I lost track of him. But we found the track again. Until a month ago, he was over here, running the East German steel mission. What? Indeed. George recognised him in one of my snaps. A spying genius from East Germany, here in London. And in case you think your cup is full, I showed another snap to your friend at the theatre of a nasty young fellow by the name of Munt. 
He turns out to be not only the Romeo who collected Mrs. Fennon's music case, he's also the sinister fair-haired chap who tried to lure George into his own house. Probably the one who beat him up. Very likely. Gets around, doesn't he? So what now? Why did you not call first? It's very early. May I come in, Mrs. Fennon? What is it you want? I asked, what is it you want? I think I shall close the door. You must have been very lonely. What on earth are you talking about? It takes courage, and it's hard to be brave alone. They don't understand that, do they? The masters. With their flags and ideology. They don't understand the isolation. May I come in? A cigarette? I do apologise for turning up so early, but, well... How have you been sleeping? Badly. I'm sorry. I know how debilitating that can be. Perhaps you might have some tea in a little while. So, Mrs. Fennon, when and where did you first meet Dieter Fry? And a man named Munt. A competent man, is he? Trained killers often are. Although he failed in his attempt to kill me. He did succeed with the man he hired his car from. He was dragged out of the Thames. You were attacked? He might yet kill you. That's part of his tidying up. He killed your husband, after all. Why not you two? I did not think you cruel, Mr. Smiley. And what about the woman at the theatre? She saw you and him together often. Tidy her away. That's insane. And so is Munt. I have looked into his eyes. Killing is what he does. And you must have known that. Known it. You've seen those eyes before. Did you know as a boy he was Hitler youth? Did you think you could give the likes of him only as much as you pleased when he demanded all? What game did you think you were playing, you and your husband? What dream did you think you were pursuing? What dream of state and people that had so little of the real world in it? Tell me, Mrs. Fennon. I think I had only one dream in my life. Long golden hair. They shaved my head. When and where did you meet Dieter Fry? Five years ago. In a ski hut near Garmisch. And Munt? I've never heard of him. You know who I mean. He would have asked you to give him a name. Very pale blue eyes. Merciless. Freitag. His real name is Munt. When and where did you meet him? Four years ago. Here. My husband did have a dream, you see. A new world was to be built, and Samuel Fennon was to help in its building. I said to him, This country has given you all you have. Why would you do this to your country? He said, I do it for this country. He said, Someday it would understand. He was a child, Mr. Smiley. They let him like a child. And then when they saw him with me, they killed him. Yes. Freitag. Munt. The suicide letter. I typed it. I had no choice. I could see no choice. You are right about Munt's eyes. He had the paper with the signature already there. 
Samuel's signature. I typed it. When your husband was already dead. May I have something to drink? Not yet. The anonymous letter denouncing your husband. I don't know. Someone from his office who watched, suspected. Or someone from Oxford. I do not know. The night your husband was killed, Munt didn't meet you at the theatre. No. Because he was here, with your husband. So you hadn't exchanged cloakroom tickets to swap the music cases. And you left the theatre early. Yes, I panicked. No, you did not. You left early because that was the arrangement. I think you have an address and an emergency phone number. Give them to me. There's no address. Are you mad? Would you try and protect Munt? That killer? He'll kill you, Mrs. Fennan. He'll try again to kill me. When he didn't turn up that night, you didn't panic. You obeyed instructions. What to do if your contact doesn't turn up? You left the play early to catch the last post from Weybridge. You posted him your cloakroom ticket, didn't you? That was the arrangement, and you followed it. You posted it to him, which is why you had to phone the theatre and ask them to release the case without a ticket. Correct? Yes. I have an address. And an emergency phone number. Yes. Good. Write them down, Mrs. Fennan. And I shall make us that tea. It began very simply. He brought home my draft telegram one night and showed it to me. He said he thought Dieter should see it. I couldn't believe it at first. That my husband was a spy. But you helped him. Of course. He was my husband. And he was the one with the dream. Creation, progress, the whole future of mankind was waiting at the door. And we must not refuse to let them in. Like I said, in these matters he was a boy. Even after Hungary in 56 he wouldn't recant. I said to him, can't you see it's the same? The same as the Nazis. The same guns, the same children dying in the street. The dream have changed, but the blood is the same color. No, he said. This was different. And when your side, Britain, America, when they gave the Germans guns again, guns and uniforms, when I saw that plump pride on the rise again, I was proud of what Samuel was trying to do, however deluded, boyish, you won't understand it. I do. He did like you, you know. I'm glad. He said you were a clever little man. He didn't often call people clever. Dieter, too. He said you were the best he ever knew. Dieter said that? Yes, to Mund. And Mund told me. Dieter said that before the war he thought you were indifferent or naive. When, in fact, you were the best agent he ever knew. He's the best I've ever known. Mrs. Fennan, I do know how lonely it must have been. That isolation... Don't touch me! Do not dare. Do you think I'm yours? Because I don't belong to them now? I'm sorry, Mrs. Fennan. Oh, no. Don't think I'm on your side. I am no man's land where your paper spies and soldiers fight. I am the wandering Jewess. Don't think you own me, and don't say you're sorry, and never, never touch me. Now get out.
Well... A new world was to be built, and Samuel Fenham would help in its building. He was a spy. And the wife? She admits she helped him. But all she wanted was her husband and long golden hair. I'm sorry, Mendel. Sorry to have kept you so long. Oh, I knew you'd be a while. I popped over to Wollaston Nick and a look at Fennan's personals. In his diary, address section, who do I find? Dieter Fry, full name. Steel mission phone number. Good Lord. I didn't reckon it was a good spy behaviour. It's bizarre, however much of an amateur he was. Mr. Gwillem's waiting for us at my place. I do hope Peter has something to tell us that makes a little sense. Munt flew to Berlin last night. What? How did he manage that? I thought the airports were being watched. They were, but somehow he made it. He was seen there, crossing into the eastern sector. Bit of a magician, eh? Mrs. Fennan gave me an emergency phone number and address. I haven't checked out, but I think we know where they'll lead. Munt's empty hideout. George, I'll have to put all this nonsense on paper for Maston. Our advisor will be very glum. Catching spies when they're already dead is poor business, in his view. What was Fennan's access? Now, that is a good question. It was high in the last six months, close to the top, and we've discovered that files were regularly marked out to him on Friday, marked in again on Monday. Well, he's taking them home for the weekend. So we must infer, but there's more. During the last six months, since his higher posting, he took home only unclassified stuff. Before that, some was hot, some wasn't, but in those six months, nothing of interest to anyone. But since that posting, he could have taken anything he wanted. Could, but he didn't. The anonymous letter denouncing him. Apart from the fact it was done on his own typewriter, nothing. In his letter to me, he said he had something important to tell me. Essential, he said. And we know he did arrange to take a day off, the day after he died, when he asked to meet you. The day he arranged to have an 8.30 call. And that's why they got rid of him, to stop him seeing you again. And now Munt's gone. Is it over? Well, it'll be up to Maston to decide what we do about Mrs. Fenner my guess is nothing. Maybe Fenner's death will go back to being a convenient suicide. That should cheer him up a little. Elsa, why do they not kill her? They kill her husband, we assume because he was seen meeting me, yet they allow her to live. This neurotic, embittered woman who might say anything. Doesn't matter what she says now. Munt's gone. So he is. By some conjuring trick. What now? Nothing. It is over. I must thank you very much for your hospitality, Mendel. But I shall go home now. Welcome home, George. Ma, you are a weary old toad. Look at you shuffle. You need a drink. I do. I see some of my things have reappeared. You were quite rigorous when I left, weren't you? Ruthless. Stashing away my bits and pieces. You even banished my books. A ruthless toad. But some things have crept back out of hiding. Wedding presents, mostly. This, I adore this. Our, our Dresden group. From Peter Gwillem, was it not? Dear Peter... See how delicate the shepherdess's hands are. Of course she's not really a shepherdess. No. A courtesan in disguise, one hand stretched out to a lover. While bestowing her glance on another swain. I'm rather surprised she's been allowed out. Doesn't she remind you of me? I can just imagine you, George, moving this piece here, that piece there, hanging a picture, taking it down. What can you not live without? What can you not bear to look at? So you shift them, rearrange them... Compromise, half-conceal, start again. Like pieces in a game you can never win. Yes, pieces in a game. Paper spies and soldiers in no-man's land. And, of course, one could manoeuvre them like characters in a story. 
One mustn't alter the established facts, of course, but... No. The facts do not change, but the characters in the framework of the facts. If one attributes other motives to them, rewrites the parts they play, take the pattern they make and remake it... Peter Gwillem? Peter, it's George. George. How are you? Safe home? Yes, thank you. Peter, listen... Would you do something bold for me? It is important, I think. I'd like you to get hold of Mendel. I do like that man. Does this mean it's not all over? From early tomorrow morning, before her post arrives, I want you and Mendel to be watching Elsa Fennan, her every move, and then report to me here. I think it's far from over. Your blood is up, my love. <laughs> my blood is growing thin. Never. You're still the best. Whatever I am. I'm now the enemy of Dieter Fry. A worthy opponent. Well, we do have quite a report for you, George. She'd been going like a greyhound most of the day. We were there before the post arrived, as requested. Which she did at 8.35. And by 9.50... Oh, my. My little shepherdess. Let her out of her dungeon, George. Right. Uh, by 9.15, she was on the move. I took the same train as her to Victoria. Mr. Gwillem took the car up. Too late to meet her at the station, but Mendel here was onto her like a limpet. She's rattled. You've shaken her cage, George. I hope you're going to tell us how. Some of the time, she's damn near running. All the way to the Sheridan Theatre, where she booked two rear stalls for next Thursday. Row T, 27 and 28. One of the tickets she put in an envelope and posted. Sixpenny stamp going abroad. She's bitten. What your bait was, we'd really like to know. I sent her a postcard. <laughs> Must have been quite a racy one. It was of Westminster Abbey. <laughs> so what did you say to her? Wish you were here. During the war, you see, it was a code we used. The message meant nothing, but a postcard of a religious subject meant an urgent meeting was required. The theatre ticket tells us where and when. You think you'll dare to come back? Well, he knows he's wanted for murder. It's not Mund. Is it, George? It's Fry. You're trying to summon Dieter Fry back to London. But will he come? We can only hope he's clung to the system. Judging by some of the other methods he's been using lately, I think he might. I do believe that we three jolly spymen are going to the play. So, leave the table down and stamp on it. But not too hard, lest that you bruise his body. <laughs> Not long now to the happy ending, George. He's cutting it fine if he's coming. Shush. Sorry. I hate this play. What? Well, oh well. Here all along. Down the front somewhere. That is someone you'd remember. Yes. Yes, huh? At last. Why do the English enjoy such barbarism in their theatre? They're almost as bad as us. Mendel's brought some of his plain-clothes friends along, dotted them round. If that pair leave and separate, Mendel will stick with Fry. Good. We have nothing on Disa. I had nothing to do with what happened to Samuel. Elsa, I promise you. If I had, it would have been cleaner. 
less repercussion. You mean you'd have got rid of me too? Never. You know how I value you. Mund did it alone? Oh, that is what we call him now? It's his name. Who told you that? What now, George? Wait. Westminster Abbey? Yes, a request for a meeting. George. Smiley. I wonder if he's here. He sent it. He's here? Is he, Elsa? Is my old friend George watching us now? He knows. Do we still wait? Yes. Wish I knew what for. So do I. Now listen, Elsa. It will be all right. How? Just do not panic. How can it be all right? There may be dozens here. Just trust me. I know, haven't I always known? Hmm? What would happen? What to do? All we have to do now is sit quietly. Just sit here until this horrible place is over. So, not long now. You'll be quite, quite safe. Here, here. Put your head on my shoulder. As if that disgusting stuff on the stage has upset you. So it's almost over, Elsa. And let these tears distilling from my eyes be witness of my grief and innocency. He's moving. Mendel will be on him. Can hardly miss him. Why is she just sitting there? I fear... What? Good God. I'm going home, Peter. When the police arrive, keep me out of it, if you can. Keep you out of it? Impossible, as you well know. It'll ring any moment. Who do you hope or fear is on the line? Smiley. He's holed up in a houseboat by Chelsea Flour Mill. It's a converted landing craft, Sunset Haven. She's lying against the eastern side of Sennon Wharf. You followed him all that way? It wasn't easy. Bloody miracle in the fog. He is gammy leg or not. He's as fast as a cat. Where did Elsa get to? Nowhere. She's dead. Dieter killed her. Are you still there? I knew it. I knew as soon as I saw him the way he slipped out of there like a... That's a bad one, I thought. You may think he's some kind of genius, Mr. Smiley. To me, this Dieter of yours is just another killer. Where are you? Just where Battersea Bridge joins the North Bank. Go careful. The fog's thick, real thick. I suppose you do want a beer. He supposes correctly, doesn't he, George? Half the time I'd no idea where I was, but he did. Never slow down for a second. The houseboat? Down there. There's an iron gate. We'll hear it if he starts to come this way. Police? Here any minute. And Mr. Gwillem's setting up watches on airfields and ports. River traffic too. Mendel, you armed? No, you. No. I thought about it. I do have a gun at home somewhere. But it seemed ridiculous somehow. And there'd be such a fuss if I used it. Because you're not official. Dieter. 
Stop! Stop, you murdering bastard! Mendel! Police! Careful, Mendel! Stop! Mendel! Dieter! Dieter, stop! Don't, please! You swine! Your servant, George. Utter swine. Your friend here will live. He is my friend. And he'll live. I know my trade. Oh, and what is that? To shape the world as if it's a tree cut off any branch that doesn't suit your plan? Oh, we have no time for a seminar now, Dr. Smiley. You care nothing for human life. Why? Oh, for an Englishman, you are angry. But you're wrong. It would grieve me deeply to take your life. So turn around, George, and walk away quietly. Otherwise, grief or not, you will be shot. At first, I couldn't believe Munt was your pupil, your disciple, that automaton. For old times... George, for the war that we fought together, walk away. But he is yours. Your creation, soulless, brutal, ruthless. Oh, now, George, when it comes to ruthless, despite your professorial manner... No, no closer. Order not obeyed doesn't exist. George, don't. Please, don't do this. Treasonous swine. Dieter! Dieter! Dear God! Dear Christ! Welcome home, George. How did I get here? Well, we came in a couple of tactical bounds, as it were. First to Chelsea Hospital, they licked your wounds and gave you a hefty tranquilizer. And then here, where I put you to bed. I didn't enjoy that. How's Mendel? Recovering and suitably ashamed of himself. I hope you feel the same. Dieter. Another body dragged out of River Mallet. I killed him. No shame in that. He let me kill him. Let you? He could have shot me. He didn't. We were friends once. Who was then the gentleman? Dieter Fried, gentleman. I've seen the first draft of the coroner's report on Elsa Fennan. A single degree of pressure applied to the larynx, to the horns of the thyroid cartilage, causing almost immediate death. What about Maston? What action will he take? Oh, use your loaf, George. No action at all. All three principals in this little fairy tale have been eaten by bears. Do you really think Maston is bursting to tell the Foreign Office that we only catch spies when we trip over their dead bodies? And I've worse to tell you. What? He's here. Oh. Our beloved advisor, Maston. He wants to see you. And shall I... Uh, <laughs> maybe I should have left them downstairs with Peter. Here, on the bed, perhaps... I feel rather as if I'm laying a wreath. I'm not dead yet. Oh, no, no, heavens no. Thank God. But <clears throat> you, you have been in the wars. Now, old friend, let's get the unpleasant stuff out of the way. So far, George, very few people are aware of the facts of this lamentable case. Most fortunate, as both the Foreign Office and the Home Secretary agree. Uh, the police, too, they will do their part in playing the affair down. This man, Mendel... Retired, I know, but what kind of man is he? Trustworthy? Oh, I, I'm sorry, George, you must be exhausted still. I intend to write a full report, advisor, which you may do with as you wish. 
the barest facts are these. Samuel Fennan was no spy. To him, Dieter Fry was no more than a skiing companion. That's why his full name and phone number were in Fennan's diary. There's no need to go over all this now. His wife was the spy. Recruited, no doubt, on one of their skiing holidays, and Fennan had begun to suspect her. To put himself in touch with us, he wrote a letter denouncing himself as a traitor. Well, he, he denounced himself? I'm convinced of it. How extraordinary. Now, George, you must rest, but before I go, more pleasant business. There's talk of a new section in the department dealing with technique research, satellite espionage, that kind of boffin stuff. I rather hoped you'd take it on for us. Uh, Running it, I mean. With the necessary promotion, of course, and the option of extending your service after retirement age. Personnel are right behind me on this. Thank you, advisor, but no. Now, George, I know that in the heat of the moment you wrote me a letter of resignation. But you can't expect me to take that seriously. I do wish you would. And as you say, I've been in the wars. It would be unwise of me to accept your very kind offer. Well... Think about it. Take the weekend. Oh, uh, Gwillem asked me to give you this letter. Arrived a few minutes ago. Thank you. Goodbye, George. And thank you for the flowers. My darling George, I want to make you an offer which no gentleman could accept. I want to come back to you. I'm staying at the Bauer Lack in Zurich till the end of the month. Let me know. Anne. Let me know. Your world bores you. You would shatter mine again. You want to come back. You want... You want... Your eyes are bright, George. They gleam. Reflected firelight, Peter. I think not, and it's more than the excellent claret. Have you solved it all in that cunning little head of yours? Even the 8.30 morning call? Well, as to that, we know Fennan hoped to meet me that day in Marlow. The call, I think, was simply a pretext to interrupt his normal morning routine. He would say to Mrs Fennan, I'm to go to such and such a place today. As daft as that? That's only my guess. Why did she do it? Was she a communist? I don't think she liked labels. She wanted peace, an ordered, peaceful society. Free from compulsory head-shaving. And she thought the likes of Fry could bring that. I can't expect <coughs> you to understand, Dieter. You only saw the end of him. I saw the beginning. He and Elsa dreamed of peace and freedom. They became murderers and spies. And Dieter, you see, I think, his treason, it gave him anguish. Treason? To Germany, I mean, oh. during the war. Are you really and truly finally resigned, George? I am. Shall I order another bottle? What will you do with all that brilliant guesswork of yours? Oh, scholarship of some kind. Oxford Bacon, says it. But first, a little trip to Zurich. What's in Zurich? My wife. Your wife? But I thought... Sorry. That's all right. I'm sure whatever Peter told you was told with delicacy and (laughs) kindness. My ex-wife. Well, now. Just a little trip. To venture forth or return to solitude. Right now, it doesn't seem to matter either way. Mm, This place of yours can have that effect. Limbo with a barmaid. One forgets if it's night or day outside. 
That's a kind of freedom, that. Not caring much either way. Saw a thing in the paper today. Dusseldorf, was it? Germany, somewhere. They lynched a grocer, a Jew. Yes, I saw that. And you saw them burning books. What did that make you feel? Dread. Hatred, too, I suppose. Mm. And this may seem strange, perhaps, a kind of triumph, because I recognise my enemy. Still out there, George, that enemy. As busy as ever. My dad was a youth. Not that he made much fuss about it. And my mum wasn't, so I'm not. Did someone mention another bottle? <laughs> Excellent notion. And I'll buy the one after that. <laughs> good, Mendel, very good. Look, George, through the airplane window, on your way to old Europe again. See the grey wing motionless against the starlit sky? A glimpse of eternity between two worlds. Does that not soothe? Calm all fears? Peace and freedom, at least while you're here, so far above the life of struggle and fear and decision. And what decision you make when you see me again? What decision I make? Don't let that matter for now. We will see each other again. In Call for the Dead, George Smiley was played by Simon Russell Beale. Inspector Mendel was played by Kenneth Cranham. Peter Gwillem by Richard Delane. Elsa Fennan by Eleanor Bron. Lady Anne Smiley by Anna Chancellor. Dieter Fry by Henry Goodman and Maston by James Lawrenson. Adam Scar was played by Sam Dale, Ludo Oriel by Janice Aqua, and The Nursing Sister by Caroline Guthrie. Other parts were played by Benjamin Askew and Jonathan Taffler. Call for the Dead was dramatised for radio by Robert Forrest from the novel by John le Carré. The producer was Patrick Rayner. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to join us tomorrow for yet another amazing story.